Welcome to episode 115, the Healing Our Core Issues model, treating childhood and developmental trauma, featuring Jan Bergstrom, licensed mental health counselor. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be automatically alerted about future episodes by Clearly Clinical. Learn, grow, shine. Hello to our listeners. My name is Beth Irias, and I am joined today by Jan Bergstrom. Jan is um, very well known in our field because of her trauma work, and she has been in practice for 25 years as a licensed mental health counselor and trainer in the field of codependency and developmental trauma in Boston, Massachusetts. Jan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, So why don't you tell our listeners a bit about you and how you came to have this specialization in working in developmental trauma? Well, originally it started uh, back in 2002 uh, when um, a colleague of mine, I used to be in um, high tech in, uh, as a career. <laughs> and so a career that I went then to graduate school and decided to be uh, go into the field of mental health. And my colleague called me and said, hey, look, and I have someone I want to introduce you to, and his name is Terry Real. And um, he would love to meet you. You guys could get together and maybe you can create, um, uh, you know, an institute together. So I met Terry and Terry, as um, some of the people may know, uh, is done has done great work with couples work in the field um, of couples treatment. And he and I got together and he uh, asked if I would help him. I did everything for him and created this institute with him. And when I learned his model, and because I had my master's in uh, licensed mental health counselor, I ended up uh, learning his model. And he said, you know, Jan, really, if you want to know how to do this model well, you should study with Pia Melody at the Meadows. So I was like, Pia who? And I didn't really know who it was. And so I went to the Meadows back in 2003 and um, worked with Terry, but worked with Pia also. And I worked with her probably from 2003 until about 2018. So I went back to the Meadows. I learned her her overview. She called it, of course, formally called codependence. And now we're calling it childhood developmental and relational trauma. And so as I learned from her everything that she had and went back and studied over and over and sat in on her workshops, uh, I got really interested in what is developmental trauma and how it shows up in people's lives today. So then I actually, um, through the process, like many therapists that I know, I started learning things. I I studied with John Kabat-Zinn, who many people may know. He did uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction. I studied with Peter Levine, who has really changed my life. He really looks at developmental trauma and trauma in general through the nervous system. And I realized that Pia's model really was losing that component, that it really wasn't there, and that she really, that needed to be in any kind of trauma treatment. You have to have the body included. So uh, getting my SEP, which is Somatic Experiencing Practitioner, I did that about five years ago. I also studied with uh, Susan Johnson and her emotionally focused therapy and started learning just how important attachment was. So all of this culminated with me in realizing my passion was really for childhood developmental trauma. Why what happens from zero to 18 shows up in our adult life over and over and over again until we really heal it. And so I've incorporated, along with my business partner, Dr. Rick Butts, uh, created an institute we did back in 2000, let's see, 13. And we really created this model, which we're calling the Healing Our Core Issues model, the Hawkeye model. We created that by having these theoretical orientations, like Pia Melody's core issues work. Uh, like Stephen uh, Porges. I don't know if people have heard of him. He's becoming very popular with his polyvagal theory. I, I don't know if you heard of that, <laughs> Beth. I don't know. And and then Peter Levine, who, of course, is somatically uh, based and working with any kind of trauma. 
And then we also incorporated a part of us that started looking at mindfulness and how do we bring mindfulness into trauma treatment. And the last part was attachment. And this, of course, people know John Bowlby and um, uh, Mary Ainsworth, who have been around for many years. I mean, John Bowlby is back in the 50s and Mary Ainsworth is back in the 60s and 70s. So we kind of pulled all of these orientations together and created what we call now the Hawkeye model. Um, well, thank you for joining us to, to tell us um, really more about how all of these pieces come together. And I think for our listeners, I know for me, many of us are trained in a number of models and operate from an eclectic place. So the idea of bringing together all of these different components like mindfulness, somatic um, awareness or experiential, all of these different things to get down to this base of trauma, which in our field has been such a, a big focus in the last five or 10 years. I'm excited to talk about this with you. Uh, so why don't we start just, why don't you tell us more about the Hawkeye model, which again, for our listeners stands for healing our core issues model. Um, you've covered how it got its start, but tell us more kind of how it came to be with all these different elements and what it really means. Sure. So one of the things that really touched me is uh, people know of um, uh, Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And one of the main ideas that he was really bringing home in that is that many years ago in our field of psychotherapy, it was about drug treatment, like what drug is someone on and cognitive behavioral. And of course, before that was psychoanalytic. So he said in his book, basically, is that that's only 50% of what we're looking at that the other 50% is experiential. It is absolutely experiential and, and has to incorporate the body. So when, um, when I was wrote, uh, read that book, uh, he, I was so touched by it. I thought, you know, that's what we really need to do is really spend more time with people. And rather than just talk therapy, it has to be experiential. So with these four different orientations that we brought together, I would have to say that what we teach in our model is we, and which I'll go through in just a minute is what I call the healing our core issues overview chart, which are the six areas that we really focus on when we're working with somebody on what we call getting their story straight or debriefing them. So that's the very first one. The second one we teach in our uh, level one Hawkeye training is really about some of the really basic elements of things like the sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic settling, the window of tolerance, what is a resource. One of the things I love about really teaching uh, therapists about resources is that it's anything that brings that someone uses in times of high activation or dysregulation that brings in more settling and the parasympathetic calls into the parasympathetic settling. So we teach some of those really basic elements in everything we do and how you're working with your client, how you start your client. Um, it's just essential. Uh, the other piece that we incorporate is on mindfulness is that we talk about mindfulness as the ability, and this is right from John Kabat-Zinn, to the ability in the present moment to observe what is happening in you without any judgment. Now, <laughs> for all the years that probably any of us have been working, we realize people are always looking with this critical place in themselves about how they're stupid or they didn't measure up or they made a mistake. And so what we really talk about is the ability to step back and to observe the self with what I call self-compassion, with a compassionate, without any judgment, and look and be curious. And really, curiosity is the most important piece. So when we're teaching our clients how in these processes is can they stand back and observe with curiosity? And then the last part we work with is, of course, um, attachment. And we look when we're working with someone, we look at their, um, where were they attached? Were they attached? What, who were they attached to? Do they have high anxiety? Are they anxiously attached? What does that mean in their lives and how they're relational? Were they really um, 
really detached and are they really shut down and are they not very relational? So we incorporate all of those things and where we start, Beth, is where we talk about is this Hawkeye overview chart. So does that, any of that make sense, what I just said? Yes, absolutely. And um, for me, I think what stands out is the fusion of mindfulness and awareness and, and not having judgment for the present moment and the curiosity, but also that foundation and attachment. And of course, if we're looking at developmental trauma, foundationally somewhere in there has something to do with attachment. Um, so we have so many different areas we can go in this conversation. Let's start by talking about the Hawkeye overview chart and tell us about those those six elements and really what they are. Right. So where we really start is this, it's, it's like a template. And these six different areas, it's like we take this template and we have a, what we call a DART assessment that we send to our clients. And DART's let me just say what DART is again, Developmental and Relational Trauma Assessment. And it's a 13-page document. And we send it to our therapists that we train because we believe that therapists need their own training and do, to do their own work. Uh, and we send it when we're working with a client. And this DART assessment, we take this overview chart and we place it right over that and we start looking at the areas where our client was traumatized or neglected. And we start noticing these are the areas that we need to start working in. And it, I'll tell you what the, how we look at these different areas. So one of the, where we start, and some of this is psychoeducational when we're working with our clients and some of it is, uh, is, we spend time is very experiential. But at first, what we have to do is assess what did this client get? What is, that's where we call it getting their story straight. So we start with this template of the overview chart and what we believe the, the six areas are starting from when we call it the birthright of a child or the nature of a child coming into this world is that they're precious and they're valuable. And so we believe that, that everybody coming into this world is precious and valuable. The second area is of the nature of the child or what we call their birthright, is that all children when they come into this world are very vulnerable, that they need to be protected, okay? The third area um, of what I say the nature of a child is that all children are imperfect, that they're human. And this lies a problem because they come in and they're really dependent, they're imperfect, they're human, and parents, when they're in relationship with them, depends on how they respond to their imperfections and to their humanness. For the fourth area, it's needy and wanting. And so for any of us who are parents, this area we're really aware of is that children are very dependent and needy and wanting all the time. The fifth area is that all children are spontaneous and joyful. And I really look at this area as an area where kids, really their essence, it's like the light, that the bright light that shines within them is that it shines when they're spontaneous. This is when they're truly in themselves. And that's the nature, that's their birthright to be that way and joyful. And the last area of uh, what I call the birthrights for children is that they need to be connected and attached. Now, these all sound great. And uh, we all, like when we hear me talk about the six areas, we think, yes, I want that. And that's what I want for if I'm a parent for my children. But the problem is, is that we're human. And we are imperfect and we are not <laughs> going to be able to raise our children. There's no such thing as perfectly. So in comes this idea of that when I'm raised in a family and Pia Melody talks about this is anything less than nurturing. And we're looking now at how trauma, big T trauma, which would be, let's say, abuse like sexual abuse or physical abuse or little t trauma, which would be more in the category of neglect, when that comes in to a child growing up from zero to 18, what happens is in these six areas, 
they're going to be wounded in them. <laughs> That's actually another word for trauma, wounding. And so when a child comes into this world, like I said, and they're valuable and they're precious, if they are not valued and esteemed by their parents, the child will grow up and have self-esteem issues. That's just what happens. If they're undervalued, they're going to feel less than. And, and if they're overvalued, because we look at an overvalued where we call about being entitled or falsely empowered, children will think they're better than people. But this lies in that this issue of that all children are valuable and they're precious, that they need to be esteemed by their parents. And if their parents don't do this, they're going to have problems presenting today in the areas of their self-esteem. So we, so that's the first area we look at. Whoa, where is this person when they're looking at their history from the DART assessment? Where, how was this child valued? Oh, this child was never valued. So I, I'm always holding, like I said, this chart is a template over that DART assessment. And I'm figuring out what this person, what this client got. The second area that I look um, at, Beth, is I said that all children are really vulnerable. I mean, look at an infant. When they come in the world, they're completely vulnerable. And even when they're four and when they're five, they're still really uh, vulnerable and they need to be protected. So when we look at protection, we look at this idea of boundaries. So that's where and depending on how the family you were raised in your family, were you protected physically? Did someone walk you across the street or did you wander in the neighborhood by yourself? Were you protected with sexually? Were you alone a lot with strangers? Um, did someone care about where you were or was someone really keeping an eye on you? And then we, then Pia Melody really came with this brilliant idea of what she calls psychological or internal boundaries is how was this child protected emotionally? Were someone overbearing, yelling at them, or was someone distant and shut down? And so this whole area of uh, children being vulnerable is gonna be showing up in their life around what is their boundary profile <laughs> and what it shows up in their life today as adults is they're gonna either be living with walls or what we call being boundary less. And they're going to be either porous or they're going to be impermeable, like nothing gets in. And so this whole area is just essential. So when I look at that DART assessment for my client, I look at, oh, her father was yelling at her all the time and her mother did nothing about it. Wow. So she, her father was boundary less and she was taking this all in as a little girl and mom didn't protect her. So I'm putting together this. Like I said, this is my template for what is functional and what they got. The third area is what I said, and this is probably the hardest for people to understand when I work with therapists and my clients, is this idea of that we're human and children are imperfect. Okay, there's no such thing as having a perfect child. <laughs> so where it shows up in, um, in the area this is the area today is what we call their reality or their sense of self. And what that really means is if a parent is demanding perfection from a child and the child decides that they have to be good and perfect in order to be loved, they're not going to have a very good sense of themselves or their reality. They're not going to know their reality. So they're going to be struggling with what is happening with me? What am I feeling Maybe they'll say, mommy, I'm sad. And they'll say, oh, no, you're not sad. This is how it is. Everything's good in this family. Everyone's fine. And so a child never really gets this sense of anyone getting their reality. It's really what the parents wanted them to be. And so what we talk about is how that shows up in our lives today as adults and your clients is that I've had so many clients not even know what's happening with emotions that they're feeling, what's happening in their body, what their thoughts are, that they were so porous that they couldn't really hold on to their own reality. And this is such a big area, Beth, is that so many people are wounded in this area because we call it knowing the self or sense of self. 
Um, as you were talking about that, so I was many years ago, um, I was at a, a playground um, with my kids and I overheard a little girl that was climbing up one of the structures, you know, that's taller and a little creepier for a little for a little kid. And she said, Daddy, I'm scared. Daddy, I'm scared. I don't want to climb up. And he looked at her and he said, you're not scared. Just keep going. But it was exactly that idea of of this child then got this message from a parent of like, whatever you think you're feeling, I'm telling you that's not right or it's not acceptable. And that it was such a subtle example. Of course, a therapist in me is super sensitive to those kind of comments. But those kind of comments happen all the time you know, from a teacher, from a coach, from a parent, and this idea of these little traumas accumulating to help us kind of disconnect from ourselves. And we stop trusting our our bodies. We stop trusting that when our heart starts pounding like that, or we start sweating, it's like, that's not fear, that's something else. And, and, and you know, who knows the backstory of that one moment and what parent hasn't done something like that. But for me, observing it, just the awareness of that, that was a perfect example of how we unknowingly and I'm sure that the dad values his daughter's emotions and he wanted to encourage her and to challenge her to try something that was difficult. But what he unfortunately did was totally shut down her experience of fear. Exactly. And that happens so often, like little boys that will be crying. It's not as much as it used to be, you know, stop crying. Don't be a baby, you know? So the messages are big and that's why we get people or couples into treatment and you say, so breathe into your body and tell me what emotion you're feeling. And they're going, I don't know. And so this area is such a huge area. And so when we're looking at the DART assessment and we're looking at what did this child get, which is your client, is you'll see no one reached into them and really helped them identify emotions, how to navigate emotions, how to express emotions. And in some families, emotions were never even allowed. So we don't talk about them. We use walls. I'm sorry, everything's fine. So this is a big area of neglect where we see neglect and abuse too, because we know from studying childhood developmental trauma is that when there's severe big T trauma and abuse, sexual abuse or physical abuse, that what the nervous system does is it shuts down. It can shut down completely. We will not have any sense of feeling in the body or we will also distance from our emotions. That's how the body starts working with big T trauma. It just completely shuts it down, which is a brilliant idea <laughs> because it's just too much for someone to feel. So they have to detach from it. So the fourth area, uh, Beth, is we we're talking about is that all children, their birthright is that they're needy and wanting. And really, this is a big area too. So does a parent go, gee, um, I'm sorry, I don't really want to deal with you now. I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to sit here and drink and I'm going to let my kid run around. And so that child never gets their needs or wants um, really taken care of. And so where the core issue is it shows up and is our ability to take care of ourselves and also our ability to identify what we need and want and how we interact with others around that. So many kids that grow up with severe neglect really had to raise themselves up or abuse that a parent was, let's say, alcoholic and they would be on a binge and they would fall asleep during the day and they had to get themselves up at you know six years old and get themselves to school. So this area of our needs and wants when we become adults, <laughs> this shows up again in these areas of how do we ask for things? Do we ask for things? Am I needless and wantless? And what I find in so many of my my uh, couples that I work with is that when you say, so what do you want to ask your husband for? What do you want to ask your wife for? They say, I have no idea. I don't know. And so again, these, all these things that I'm talking about, the birthright of a child when they come in the world, that through the family system, and like I said, there's no such thing as perfection. They get wounded or traumatized in these core areas. And in these core areas, we will be struggling in our life today with all of them, if not all of them, some of them. So 
The last two are, again, um, the birthright of a child is they're spontaneous, they're open, they're joyful. And when you see, I always think about this when I see young kids at a playground, I don't know how old your, your children are, mine are all grown up, but you know how they get, they are joyful, they're spinning, they're talking to themselves, they're playing, they're just really wide open. And so what happens in a family system, again, if a parent is an, has an addiction, or they're depressed, mentally ill, or they're not doing well, or their marriage is in big trouble and these kids are in it, what's going to happen is this whole area of a child being shut down. They're going to be either totally shut down, like, you know, children are supposed to be seen, not heard. And so that's a big shutdown. Or parents just don't care because they're so involved with their own lives that what happens is the kids are like too open. They're too, uh, <laughs> I call it uh, too loose. Uh, so what that means in their life today is it's going to be affecting them in the area of knowing where balance is or moderation. So if I'm too loose, uh, it's kind of like being in a restaurant sometimes with little kids and they're running all around or climbing on tables and parents are so wrapped up or don't even care. And kids are like really uncontained or they're overly contained and very, and very, that happens so much, you know, sit in church, be in this pew, don't say anything. This is what you're doing. And so we look at this whole idea of what we call balance or moderation in our adult life. Um, what you just said really reminded me of one of the things that LaShonda Sugg had said in our interview where we, where we were discussing DART and the Healing Our Core Trauma model. And for any of our listeners, I really encourage you to go listen to that episode with LaShonda um, because she talks about that very issue. Uh, but so I'm glad you bring up that point of like whether we are in basically too tight an environment or too loose an environment and then how that stays with us as we grow up in our boundaries and the way that we self-manage. Exactly. Yeah, that's a big thing. And so it shows up in people's lives today, like um, over exercising, you know, like over going to church every day and or being hyper religious or, oh, you know, like uh, if it's a body issue, then they're going to exercise for hours and hours every day. And it's our inability to really find this balance and moderation because of really how it's really the atmosphere of the family system and how things are held, you know? So it's a, it's a big area. The last one is that the birthright of a child is to be attached. And so this goes with attachment and how it shows up in the core issue of all of our lives is our ability to be relational today. Um, how do we connect to people? How can we be relational? And the issues, of course, everybody knows how it shows up today. Am I over-engaged when I'm really anxiously, I'm in there trying to get really attached to somebody? Or am I on the observation level and I'm way back and I'm really avoidant and I'm distancing? So we look at this, this whole kind of dance of, of how the attachment was. And we really investigate the early years of attachment, uh, meaning birth to about four or five, because that's when a child, you know, you're familiar with Dr. Tronic's, um, the still face exercise on YouTube. No, I don't think so. Please oh my gosh. Oh, you should absolutely have everybody go see this. So Dr. Tronic did a lot of work around attachment and young children, like from eight months old. Now I know what you're talking about. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's called the, <laughs> the bell went off. Yes, the still face experiment. And so he's talking about this ability that kids need to be attached. And if they aren't really, really what happens. So that's a great YouTube. Uh, you can find it on just Googling it on the internet. So thank you. So what this is the template, though, what we use, Beth, is this is uh, the birth rights of a child, the nature of a child, the core areas and the wounding that comes in those areas and how it shows up today. And so we're not just looking at the past. We're not just like, let's get your story straight and just let's keep ruminating over the past. We're looking at the patterns that were struck in the past that now are showing up in today's life. And we're actually going in and teaching people how to be different with those places and experientially starting to relate to those places that were struck back then. Um, this 
this covers so many different things and we could spend many hours just talking about one of them, you know, of any of these six core areas that you just named. So one of my questions, you had talked about the um, inclusion of psychoeducation with clients briefly. So when you're doing this assessment and a client does this 13 page developmental and relational trauma assessment, how do you talk with them about what's in there and then bring that together with the six Hawkeye elements? So part of it is, is the materials we give. I mean, you can read Pia Melody's book, Facing Codependence, or you can read my book, uh, The Gifts from a Challenging Childhood. And we talk about the first part of my book is just about these areas, these uh, six core areas. Okay. So those are there, but how I work with a client as soon as they, uh, I, well, they don't walk in the door anymore right now, but when they are on my screen, what I do is they start sitting down and they start talking about, you know, my husband was just yelling at me and I feel so miserable and blah, blah, blah. And I can't get out of this funk. And I go, okay, she's talking about core issue number two. That's boundaries. That's about, she's too vulnerable. She wasn't protected in her childhood and she's struggling with how do I have a functional boundary with my husband. And so then I, I talked to her, I said, is that what's going on? And she says, exactly. And then I start teaching. Here's what happened. You were porous. You took this in as blame and you're feeling now one down and you don't have value. Okay. So we're looking at also your self-esteem, which is core issue number one. So I basically, right from the start, when someone starts talking about what's going on with them, I just start teaching it. Oh, this is reality. She goes, I don't know how I feel. I feel really confused about it. Okay. Let's talk about that. Why are you so confused? And now this is your sense of self. So I do it right away, Beth. And we train people. This is how you start telling people right away what's happening with them, what was functional, what's happening with them, and here's what you need to do. What's really interesting to me as you're talking about that is the the inclusion of just basically constant psychoed, where it's like, okay, this is what's happening. And so when you have that moment where a member of a relationship that's sitting there with you says, you know, I, I don't even know how I feel. And so you say, this is one of the core issues that's coming up. Let's look at where this is coming from. So your goal there is to develop insight. One of the things I've encountered with clients before is that they can identify that it's happening. And then what's the correction Good. through, through Hawkeye to actually... Uh, turn the insight into action and to resolve this? What's the next step for it? So the next step for it is uh, depending on, and this is what we do some teaching about. This is what I give homework out to my clients about. This is what's in uh, Pia's book. This is in my book. Uh, uh, this is what we do. So like if it's talking about self-esteem, I go look at, so here's what you're struggling with is it's not about performance-based self-esteem. It's not about your attributes. It's not about that he loves you. I said self-esteem is something that's internally based. It's from the inside out that your ability to hold yourself with inherent worth, with your gifts that don't define you as being better than someone and your shortcomings or weaknesses that don't define you as being less than, they just define the fact that you're a human being. You're your humanity. And we're all born with inherent worth. And some people always say, well, how do you know that? And so that is really, we are a values-based um, model. We believe that people coming into this world have a birthright, that they're valuable, that they have an inherent worth. And my ability to then start holding myself from the inside out that that is who I am, that I have inherent worth and that my worth isn't defined by what I performed, what I have and who loves me. It's from the inside out. So I start talking to people. I So I do just what I did there. The same thing with boundaries. I start talking to them about how do you have a functional boundary when you're listening to someone and I go into doing the teaching. Sometimes um, when reality, when I'm working with someone about reality, I'll say, okay, so breathe into your body and tell me what emotions you might be feeling right now. And they'll say, well, I'm feeling really sad. And I'm of course you're sad. 
you were just told by your husband that you are disorganized and you're unproductive. Of course you're sad. So now, is that true for you that you feel like you're unproductive? And they'll say no. And I said, okay, so you got too porous. Your boundary was wide open and you need to put the boundary up and protect yourself. So I actually go right into teaching them right there and I explain how it works for them. And they'll go, wow, I've never thought of I'd have to do that. So I talk to people and that's part of the second part of my book, which is creating a practice for becoming your healthiest self is that it's nothing you have. It's a practice that you're doing when you're using boundaries and when you're holding yourself with warm regard. So one of the things that I want to tell our listeners, while Jan is talking about this, she's been holding up her hand to the camera. And so I can see that very literal boundary that says stop. Um, so so here's this person that's having these thoughts of, of sadness. CBT would say that we could start looking at you know, potentially the antecedent we could develop insight, or we could go into some thought stopping exercise, for example, um, dialectical behavior therapy might say, okay, let's, let's go into different coping skills. And let's try to engage mindfulness. When, when looking through the lens of Hawkeye, take us to that next level of how we work with clients in the room to actually implement those, um, change makers, if you will. Right. Change makers. I love that. That's a great word. So, uh, so when that happens, let's say the boundary fails, they go into the one down position, they feel less than, and they're in pain. Okay. So now we're looking at core issue number three. This is their reality. They're feeling pain because they were just shamed by their husband. <clears throat> so what I usually do then is that I'll say, okay, so why don't you, can, is it okay if you, we work with that? I, I actually ask him in that moment and they'll say, okay. And I'll say, okay, so breathe into your body and tell me what emotions you're feeling. And they'll say, I'm feeling a lot of pain. I said, okay. And where do you feel that pain in your body? They'll say, well, it's really in my heart or my chest. And they'll put their hand on their heart and my shoulders feel really slumped over. And I said, okay. So how old does this feel when you feel like this? Have you ever felt this way before when you were growing up as a little girl or as a child? And sometimes people will say, no, it just feels like I'm 48, you know, but other people, I had a client one time who said, I feel like I'm five years old. Yeah. And I'll say, right. So now I have done Beth, their dart assessment, meaning I got their story straight. Mm -hmm. So I know, and I've, I have a list of some of their trauma of at the different ages that I know I have a timeline that really has, I have already learned and I know what happened in timeline, let's say when they were five years old or in that range. So I'm already aware, okay, I'm going to be moving now into, this is actually one of the dark processes. <laughs> I'm going to be moving into what I call reparenting work or inner child work, right? So what I'll do is I'll say, of course she feels sad. So what I do is I say, okay, so can it, would it be okay if we talk to her? And many times people are just so willing to do that. And I'll say, okay, so I want you to do this. And I say to him, now you're going to do this reparenting work from your best self. And not that you know what that is right now, but I will help you with that. So I'll say, so where is that little five-year-old girl? And they'll and believe it or not, this is what is so amazing about this work <laughs> is that people, will, they, you can't make this stuff up. People will say, oh, she's outside in the sandbox all by herself. And I'll be like, okay, let's go out there and visit her. So this is where we go into this whole process of her going out to the sandbox, introducing herself to this part talking, reparenting, which through my guidance, I do that with her. I say, okay, I want you to tell that five-year-old, this was never your fault, that you were just a precious little girl and you didn't deserve that. So I help um, coach my client in being able to reparent that five-year-old self. And so this is where what we call, this is the second, what we call the dark process of inner child or reparenting work that happens. And eventually they, there, sometimes there's more tears. Sometimes there is a release. And now this is where I'm looking at work from somatic work. 
like how much activation is going on there? Is there a, a release? Can they get close to this part? Can they embrace it? Can they put it in their heart? Do they feel like they can't relate to it? I'm looking at all these things that we teach that I can't really go into teaching right now, but I'm looking at the relational aspect of my client with that part of themselves. And that's what I'm looking at because the more relational they can be with that part of themselves, the more healing that happens. And when that five-year-old shows up in their adult life today, they'll know how to reparent and take care of it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I can I could completely relate with those same moments with clients and being able to say very clearly, you know, I was eight years old and, and I hid in the bathroom or whatever it is. And, and I think that all of us can relate with those things too, you know, that we have those moments where we felt somehow different than somehow less valued and on the outside of whatever it was, whether it was a class or a family or a community. Um, and so I, I appreciate that idea of going back to that age. So, so we're working with a client and we have them get to this point where they can have a conversation with this child and reparent them. So the client leaves our office or in our days right now, leaves our video session um, <laughs> and they go back into what I call their real world, their normal functioning. Yes. And eight days later, it happens again for them. Mm -hmm. Right. What tools do we want them to use in that moment when they're not in therapy with us? And what I call it is like when the algae comes up from the well, when something right. goes down into the well and pulls <laughs> it up and we have that really big physiological reaction where it's like, why am I so upset right now? Um, right. What do we want them to do and pull from that conversation that they had with us in therapy to apply in that moment? Right. Yeah. So that's really important. And it's a process. So it doesn't, it's not instantaneous just because they talk to this uh, five-year-old part of themselves that all of a sudden, ta-da, mm -hmm. and they go out, out into their real life and everything's fine. No, it is, it takes place through time. So what I tell them to do is, again, I've given them homework sheets on boundaries so they're working on this boundary, learning how to keep it out there rather than collapsing and taking it all in too personally. I'm working with them on their practice of holding themselves with inherent worth and warm regard and that they have you know, inherent worth and that because they made a mistake doesn't mean that they're worth less. So I work with them on that. And when I see them in session, I we kind of go through the piece and I'll say, okay, so wow, you were able to hold yourself with warm regard and not drop into that big deep well that I'm worthless. And you're still struggling with uh, some of your feelings of sadness and pain. Okay. So it's that little girl. So how did you reparent? That's what I always ask. So how did you reparent her? And they'll say, oh yeah, I forgot about that. And I said, okay, so that's really what was going on is that when you lost your boundary and you got porous, you dropped into a trauma reaction. That's really what happened. You became that five-year-old and that five-year-old needed to be talked to. So let's just breathe into our body and tell me what is it that five-year-old needed to hear? So now I'm, I'm going, I'm moving her further down the line with how does she oh yes, that's right, that's what showed up and how do I reparent it? And now how do I practice these functional boundaries and how do I keep holding myself with warm regard? So it really is, it, it's a practice. This is, this is nothing like that you do once and you got it. It's a practice, but I tell my clients that as they do this, it gets easier and faster because they'll, they'll really know, they'll know, not understand, but they'll know what's going on. You mentioned one of the DART processes. Can you tell us a little bit more about those three developmental and relational trauma treatment processes yes. and how we hold the mind in mind as practitioners and then also teach them to clients of this is, this is what is being triggered right here? Great. Yeah, so the first uh, developmental and relational trauma process is called Getting Your Story Straight. It's that 13-page uh, DART process assessment, okay? So I, I do this also, Beth, in a workshop with my clients, um, but you can also do it in session, okay? And what I do is in a workshop, I do it all within an hour and a half. 
with someone, go through the worksheet and the DART process. And I get their story straight. And that's what I'm saying at the very beginning is it's like I take that template of the, the uh, overview chart and I lay it over the DART assessment and I see the areas where they weren't valued, where they weren't protected, where they don't know their reality, where their needs weren't met. I see all that. So that's actually the first DART processing. So that's the first one. The second one is that inner child or reparenting work, these historical parts. So that can happen just in a moment when you're working with a client and all of a sudden they drop into a really small place or my very famous ones uh, are that they drop into a teenage place and they start swearing and they start saying, yeah, you know, what, who does, what do they think they're doing? And they start, um, and I'll go, wow. I'll say, okay, now breathe in your body and tell me what emotion you're feeling. They'll say, I'm feeling really angry. And I'm like, oh, okay. And how old is that part of you that's angry right now? And they'll go, wow, it feels like 16 year old when my dad used to tell me blah, blah, blah. So now I'll say, hey, can we go in and talk to that teenager? He sounds like he's really out of control. So that's, uh, you can drop into the inner child or the, what I call a reparenting process right away. Or like I said, I do it in a workshop and it's a little bit more formal and I talk to different parts. So that's the second uh, developmental and relational trauma process. And the third one I haven't talked about at all, and that's called feelings reduction or standing in your truth. I named it standing in your truth because I feel like it's, that's really what you're doing. And it's really from a Gestalt tradition from Fritz Perls way back when, and it's an empty chair work. It's very kind of psychodynamic. It's energy work. It's empty chair work. Um, and it's also about really, uh, really what we call giving back to your parents, all that you got, we call it carried feelings or absorbed feelings from your clients that you've been carrying around. And really it deals with shame because a lot of parents, when they neglect their child or they shame their child, the child absorbs all those feelings. So that whole process of standing in your truth is something like where you take those younger parts okay, that five-year-old or teenager, you have them stand behind you and you do a empty chair with parents or with any kind of violator, perpetrator that you've had in your childhood who maybe sexually abused you or whatever, uh, a principal, a priest or whatever, and you have them come into the room and they're sitting in a char chair way, way back and you start talking about the impact of the trauma that it did to you and that you were just a child growing up and it, it was never your fault and that you have anger about it and we call it righteous anger and you're giving it back to them because you've been carrying around that shame for most of your lifetime. So it's a very energetic work. The other piece, which actually this is from LaShonda, is holding your parents accountable for their actions or their impact on you. And this is one of the things I talk about all the time is when I'm rearranging uh, my client's furniture is that, no, wait a minute, you were the child. They were the parents because they always say, well, I was such a bad girl. I was so hard on my parents. I'm like, no, you weren't. You were not. You were a child. They were the parents. So holding parents accountable is essential. And LaShonda came up with this phrase, which is awesome. It's called rightful assignment of responsibility. So you're rightfully assigning the responsibility back to the parent and saying, look at, I was only five years old and I didn't deserve to be yelled at and told that I was stupid. And I'm angry about that. And I have a right to be angry. And I give that back to you. And so energetically, that's what happens. Um, assigning responsibility back to them relieves the energy that we've been carrying around my clients and it's um, most clients after they go through that feel lighter and relief and their body, their, their body actually now we're looking at it somatically. There's a release and there's a settling that happens in the nervous system. So uh, that's the third dart process. And I get into that sometimes with clients, if they're really angry with a brother or sibling that used to beat them up and I'll say, Hey, look at, 
how about if we talk to your brother about this? Because he was a bully and you need to tell him that you're angry about it and you're going to tell him to stop it. You didn't deserve to do that to me. So we move right into it. Um, so these are things you can do right in session. Or like I said, I do them in a workshop setting over a three-day period. Um, I connect with so much of what you're saying. And one of the things I've done with a couple of clients is ask them to bring in a picture of mm. themselves at whatever age and to hold that that person, that version of them in mind and basically do that same kind of gestalt work of what, what would you say to that person? Or if you could protect that person, stand in front of that little girl um, in that moment with whoever that was what would you say? And, and I think that, that that idea is really powerful. And again, I think whether we are uh, working with clients or recognizing this in ourselves as humans, all of us have trauma. It, you know, it's back there. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's um, you know, the, the big T or the little, lots of little T's or, whatever, or lots of big T's. It's just part of what it means to be a human being in an imperfect world. Um, and, and I think that idea is really healing for clients to invite them into a space where they get to connect to themselves actually only being five and yes. how powerful that is. What I've had clients say, well, I did this and I should have left and I should have told somebody or whatever it is. And it's like, well, let's go back to your five-year-old self and let's let's just bring in a picture and let's yeah. look at that yeah. five-year-old. Um, and, or, you know, go in this, this, this could sound like a weird one, but go when you're out in public and watch a five-year-old, watch right. what a five-year-old right. does. Is that right. child really in control of a situation or are they using the adults around them to, to guide them and to nurture them and protect them? Um, so I, I, I really connect with that concept and I think yeah. it's really powerful. Um, it's so, so powerful. For our listeners, Jan, will you restate those three DART processes, please? Yes. So the three DART processes are getting your story straight, which involves using the DART assessment and going through that with your client so that you really get an understanding of what their story was and using the, the Healing Our Core Issues overview chart as a template to really understand what it was, like to see what they didn't get or what they got. The second DART processy is reparenting your historical selves. And this has to do with learning how to reparent these wounded places in ourselves, the five-year-old, the 10-year-old, the teenager that really could have been really wounded or out of control that needs limits set for it, which happens to a lot of teenagers. The third DART processy is standing in your truth which is from that Gestalt tradition where you're working with an empty chair for parents to come in or any kind of perpetrator and you're having your younger parts stand behind you and you're really standing up and saying, I was just a child and I give you back that shame that you poured into me because I didn't deserve it. So, um, and, and one thing I want to say, Beth, is all of these processes are done what we call from the functioning adult self. The reparenting has to be a functioning adult self. The standing in your truth has to be talking to a parent from the functioning adult self. It's not just from a place where I just let it rip on someone. It's not about that. And what we keep stressing is through these DART processes, we are Initi uh, initiating, we're cultivating and growing up their functioning adult self through these processes. And so I just want to um, really say very quickly that the functioning adult, that was something else that I came to. I thought, okay, so what is the functioning adult? What is this place that we're trying to create and cultivate in our clients? Because living out of a five-year-old or living out a teenage self doesn't get us anywhere in our relationships. We need an older, wiser self that can really maneuver and, and navigate all this. So what I came up for a functioning adult self is it has to be grounded in the body. It has to be able to have the nervous system settled because what research is finding is that when our nervous system is highly activated, we are, our limbic system and our amygdala gets too activated and we are not in a functional self. We are not our 
prefrontal cortex goes offline. So a functioning adult is grounded in the body using a practice of mindfulness, so no judgment. Um, it's living in the middle of these five core, these six core areas that I talked about. So learning how to esteem myself, learning how to use healthy boundaries, learning to know myself, learning to figure out what I need and want, learning how to be contained and moderate and learning how to be connected. The fourth one is really learning how to reparent these historical parts when they show up because they do show up and they're seamlessly when they show up. And the last one for some people, uh, I work with a lot of people in recovery. So it's reconnecting um, and connecting to a higher power or purpose in their life. So it's more of a spiritual connection that many people who have been an AA or SA that I work with really believe in that is a, a fifth core component of the functioning self. I'm glad you talked for a little bit about that idea of, of the functioning adult self and that if if our client is in a really activated place and they are um, in, in those moments kind of s stuck in one of the processes and need to be in it, that that is not the moment that we're like, okay, here's what you're going to do. <laughs> uh, no. Because they're not they're, as you said, their prefrontal cortex is offline and they're not going to be able to access those skills. And so going back to the component you already mentioned, which was the idea of mindfulness and how do we help them calm down their parasympathetic nervous system right. and recognize when they are, as the Gottmans would call, flooded. Um, Jan, yeah. I could keep talking about this with you for hours and I already know that I want you to come back and do another episode with us because I think there's so much here and it's so interesting. Um, for our listeners that are intrigued by what you're talking about and want to understand how Hawkeye works and how to bring this into the therapy room, how do they start that process to learn about it? Well, the best place is to go to our website, uh, which is healingourcoreissuesinstitute.com. So it's pretty straightforward. Uh, and we talk and describe both of the levels of training that we have and, and when the programs are. Uh, so that's the best place for the training uh, for people to get information about. Can you tell us about those two levels of training? Um, what, yeah. what are the differences? Uh, the first level uh, training covers the overview chart. So we go in depth about those six core areas and we teach them and the level one teaches that and teaches how to do the DART assessment, you know, how to debrief the DART assessment. How do you actually work with a client? And by the way, Beth, I have to say that for, we truly believe that people need to do their own work as therapists, that we wounded healers um, are not really that effective. So we do, um, what you do is you work with your own family of origin history and do role plays. So that's, I just need to say that up front is that you're working with a partner's family of origin history. They're working with yours and you're doing it in a role play situation where you learn a lot about how to do the DART process. I'm glad you brought up that element. Um, I remember LaShonda talking about that and the idea of this having our own experiential component of being able yes. to have done this work ground ourselves so that when we're with clients, we're able to appropriately hold space and manage whatever's coming up for us. So I'm, I'm glad you went over there. Yeah. Um, and so that's in the first level. What happens in the next level with the second and level? level two, we teach the reparenting part. Uh, reparenting your historical selves, and we teach them the standing your truth, that part. We teach that process. And that's also experiential too. So, you know, people come out of this and they're like, wow, that was powerful. I mean, some people, it can be a bit dysregulating. So we talk about people doing really good self-care, which is the fourth core issue, and to really take care of themselves and to unschedule themselves. But yes, it's a very, very deep, um, intensive workshop. Uh, people, I think, love it. They just think it's life-changing, so. I know LaShonda was definitely singing its praises <laughs> and how how impactful it was for her and also for her work. Um, yes. and, and she is obviously a huge proponent of the model and the processes. So for people who want to read about it, um, you had mentioned your book. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your book um, and also how people can get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Sure. So my book is uh, Gifts from a Challenging Childhood. 
and creating a practice for your healthiest self. So that's on Amazon. So you can just either put in Jan Bergstrom or you can put in gifts from a challenging childhood and it goes right there. And my book is 1995. Uh, and you can also pick up Pia Melody's books, which are have been revised, but they are facing codependence. So that's formally what we used to call it. Uh, love addiction, facing love addiction. And she also has one on just boundaries called the intimacy factor, which I highly recommend. If you want to learn about having functional boundaries, that's homework I give to some of my clients. Read that book. And uh, let's see, if they want to contact me, they can contact me at healingourcoreissues at gmail.com. Wonderful. Jan, this has been such an enlightening hour with you. Thank you again for um, not only joining us today, but also for your contribution to the field by taking these elements and fusing them into something that is so powerful and applicable. Um, I think many of our listeners are, are, I'm sure, going to connect with what you're saying. So thank, thank you for, for being one of the people to really s start this and move it forward. Well, thank you, Beth. I'm so glad we finally hooked up and we're able to chat with each other. And I really appreciate it. Thank you for today. You've just finished listening to another exclusive continuing ed podcast by Clearly Clinical. If you like what you just heard and you need continuing ed credits, please visit us at clearlyclinical.com to check out our one-year membership, where you'll have access to our growing library of continuing ed podcast courses. Clearly Clinical, where our goal is to help you learn, grow, and shine.